Welcome to That Vacation Company podcast. I'm Caleb, and with me is... Chanel. Yep, that's her. I checked. Uh, We are continuing a series on the Bergs in the United Kingdom. Uh, Us, in particularly, particular, the us Bergs. Uh, So, a few years back, we made a trek, a wonderful trip, uh, one of those once-in-a-lifetime excursions, although we hope it's more like, I don't know, just one of multiple trips eventually. We're hoping for brain. Uh, But this was a, a, a wonderful getaway that we did. To the UK, we did one of those uh, wonderful guided tours that we talked about a good bit at in the first episode of this series. Uh, but we're now in, I think this is what, episode three of this little series. And we want to take you uh, about that tour. We want to take you on that tour with us. And so uh, we are really picking up here, setting out on the tour portion of it. We've, we've showed you some highlights from London. But now we're heading out into the countryside of England. And so we're excited about it. Uh, This was, uh, like I said, just a a wonderful, I I keep wanting to use the word magical, but I feel like I use that all the time when we talk about Disney. Uh, But this was just one of those uh, incredible trips that uh, will always stick with me. The sights, the sounds, uh, the food that we had, it was just the whole, the whole thing was just wonderful. So I'm going to give it over to Chanel, and she's going to kind of pick up. She's got a whole bevy of notes. That's the technical term uh, in the industry, in the industry. So Chanel. Okay. Um, <laughs> Caleb is an interesting person. Um, <clears throat> Why you married me? <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right. So, Caleb, can you pull back up my notes? Thank you. All right, so like Caleb said, this picks up with our second day of our trip. We left out early from London that morning, relatively early. It wasn't the crack of dawn. um, And set our sights northeastward to Cambridge. But before that, we did have a hearty breakfast at our hotel. We really enjoyed our um, breakfast on this tour. One of the perks of taking a guided tour is that oftentimes some of your meals are included, just depending on the trip, just depending on lots of factors. Sometimes you'll have half of your meals included, three quarters of your meals included. Um, Some trips offer much less where it might be breakfast only. There's just so many different variations of these things. On the trip that we took in particular, we had quite a bit of our meals included, which was great for budgeting. You know, you already know up front that some of this stuff is taken care of. And the times when you're on your own is often because you are exploring a particular area. And so, you know, naturally you're on your own to find what you want, which is, I think, a nice balance. I liked having some things known, like, you know, every morning I know I'm going to have breakfast. I'm not going to really have to, you know, go out too far to find anything. Not that that's a problem always, but it was just nice. It was really nice. And so um, at our particular hotel, the the Thistle Marble Arch there in London, we had uh, a very nice breakfast prepared for us. Um, there were American-style offerings, I suppose you could say, and English-style offerings, um, beans and toast, anyone, and uh, plenty of, of delicious tea uh, options served in 
all the cutest little finery, these little cute little pewter pots that they had and and just all these cute little accoutrements that go with tea over there in England and in America you kind of just get a cup and a bag and and you get done with it um so it was really a nice breakfast you could eat as light as you want or you could eat as heavily as you want um there were just all you know really all sorts of options um Caleb do you have anything specific you want to add about the breakfasts I have to say maybe perhaps the most uh, memorable food thing for me on this entire trip was the breakfast. I'm a breakfast guy. I love breakfast food. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think enough people in the world love breakfast food like they should. Um, it just would be a much better place if people enjoyed good breakfast food. Uh, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed these breakfasts. I think the th- I must have eaten my body weight in um, rashers, you know, the, the the entire trip. So that's that's the most delicious bacon you'll ever eat in your entire life. Uh, and, you know, trying different things while we were there, like the fried toast and the beans and, and stuff like that. I didn't get into the tomatoes or, or mushrooms or anything like that. Not Just not a fan. Um, but there was a few items there that, you know, we definitely had to try for breakfast that were a little different. And, yes, I even did try... I did try a little bit of black pudding one time. I think it may not have been this first breakfast, but um, they wherever we were, they had some there, and I tried it. I wasn't a fan, wasn't a fan, but I had to try it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, some of the things that you wouldn't see on a traditional American breakfast buffet or anything like that, you got to see some of those things here. Um, the black pudding being one, which is basically like a, a blood sausage, essentially, um, very earthy tasting probably an acquired taste. Um, I tried it as well. Wasn't really for me, but I'm glad that I got to say that I tried it. Um, So from there on, I wrote in my travel journal that I was very excited to see the countryside. And I would find out as we went that it would not disappoint. Um, So that was one of the highlights for me was knowing that I was going to get to drive all up and down the countryside of England And I was really excited about that. Um, And so as with leaving any city, you often drive through sort of industrial, residential, you know, less desirable areas that are not always picturesque. And that's going to be the case with London. That's going to be the case with any city. Um, You're going to drive through rougher parts. You're going to drive through stuff like that. That's, you know, it's not, it doesn't always make for, or it, it might actually make for very interesting pictures, honestly. Um, but anyway, not the, quite the scenery that you imagine when you're thinking about England. Um, but there's always those parts to drive through. So as we're leaving the outskirts of the city, um, going through some of the residential, commercial, industrial type areas, after we get beyond that, the countryside begins to become a little bit more evident, evident. And the further and further north we drive, as we will unfold for you as these episodes go, the better the views got. Um, so as we left London, as we got out a little bit more into the country, it was very pleasant. The weather, I remember, started out nice, kind of sunny, but then it did turn your very typical English sort of gray skies as we got into Cambridge. Um, but like I said, the views just kept getting better. I won't get too far ahead of myself. I want to kind of unfold the views as we go. Um, so it's roughly just under two hours from London to Cambridge, depending on where you are, maybe hour and a half, just, you know, whatever. But um, the uh, like I said, the weather is starting to 
began to look like your typical English gray skies, um, but we never minded that. To us, it was to be expected and embraced when in merry old England, you're going to expect some gray skies. So you pull out your wellies and you pull out your, you know, your rain jacket and you go with it. I remember our tour guide apologizing several times for the weather and we're like, are you kidding me? This is, this is, you know, what we expected. Um, We had, we actually had equal parts, beautiful sunny skies and equal parts sort of picturesque, misty weather, which in some of the areas was absolutely beautiful. I loved that it was misty, um, driving further up into Scotland and kind of driving through um, some of those fields with heather and everything. I mean, it was just, I was like, are you kidding me? You don't have to apologize for the weather, dude. Um, So anyway, Cambridge may have been my favorite of the towns that we stopped in. Hard to say because I loved them. They were all wonderful. Um, but I really um, loved Cambridge, have a soft spot in my heart for Cambridge. Um, of course, it's a famous university town. Um, and our guide took us straight into the heart of the university to give us a brief orientation tour, as was his practice. Anytime we'd go somewhere, he'd sort of you know, walk us to a central point and kind of point out some things and give us some information and tell us, you know, answer questions and things like that, and then say, okay, you've got two hours, you've got three hours, or whatever our time frame was. And we could, at that point, um, either continue on with him. He would usually take a group of whoever wanted to a particular site. Um, I think in Cambridge, they were touring one of the specific colleges. Um, or you could have the option to break off and go do your own thing, which we almost always, I think we did always choose to break off and do our own thing. And the reason that we chose that is because we knew at any given city, sometimes our town, we'd only have a, you know, a few hours to look around and we didn't want to spend the majority of that time in one location or in one building. So we were like, let's take to the streets. And that's just what we did. Um, so with a relatively short time there, we hit the, hit the bricks, hit the cobblestones, whatever we found underneath our feet. And this was a beautiful old town. We discovered the most delicious Cornish pasty shop, even though we weren't in Cornwall. It was so good. And from now on, we say never turn down a pasty for breakfast or second breakfast in our case, because we had already had breakfast. Um, so never turn down a pasty for breakfast. Never, ever when you're in England. Um, that was so good. From there, we stumbled upon the Cambridge Market Square, uh, which was an open-air market, sort of farmer's market, arts and crafts. Before I keep going on, let me let Caleb stop and interject and maybe talk about some of the things we saw along the way or the, the pasty experience that we had. He's giving me an interesting look. Um, yeah, I have to be completely honest. I don't remember much of the scenery on this stretch of the trip. Um, just that, you know, the whole the whole way around the English countryside was indeed beautiful. Um, maybe some of the more striking scenery was a little bit further north for me. Um, but um, I will say when we entered into Cambridge, crossing over um, a little waterway and seeing the punting boats um, in operation uh, was really cool. And... We didn't have time to do that, but I uh, would have loved to do that. But uh, walking around, like Chanel said, like the Market Square and things like that, and of course passing, I, 
believe we passed King's College, didn't we? Or is it? I, yeah. I yeah. think that's where we started. Started over in that spot. Um, and then, you know, finding the Cornish pasty, of course, was a delicious treat. And so, you know, you can never turn down a, a pasty. It's quite delicious. And for those of you who may have never had one, it's it's basically a, a hand pie um, that is filled with uh, steak or beef or whatever. Um, and it's got things like potatoes, uh, turnips, and and just the most delectable flavorings and goodness that you'll ever imagine. And uh, they make all sorts of varieties, but the traditional, I believe, is typically that, just like steak, potato. Um, they call turnips something different in the UK. I just can't remember right now in that moment what it is, but um, uh, it's just tasty. Yeah, they they are. They um, sort of kind of like having stew inside of a inside of a handheld savory pie. Uh, it sort of creates its own. Uh, it creates its own gravy in there and everything, and it's got the meat and the root vegetables, and it's just really, really good. Um, so, right. So we stumbled, after this, we stumbled into the, the Central Market Square, and I actually pulled a blurb from there, from the um, the Cambridge City Council website. This is what it says about that particular market. It says, traders have been running stalls at the historic market square in the city center since the Middle Ages. It is open for trading from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day except Christmas Day, Boxing Day, and New Year's Day. You can buy fresh food and ingredients from a wide range of cuisines, as well as art, plants, clothes, jewelry, books, music, and much more. Some traders are able to offer services such as bike and watch repair. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting little blurb really cool to know that that open air market has been going on since the middle ages uh swede caleb just pulled up the the term for it's either a rutabaga or a turnip right and they call it swede um so side side note there um so right the market was really nice to walk through i don't believe we got anything but we just enjoyed walking through it and 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 knowing that it was this really you know old tradition that had been happening every day there's only three days a year that they take a break christmas day boxing day which is the day following christmas it's more of a holiday that's observed over there um perhaps we give the details of that some other time uh and then new year's day so um Wow. Um, so that was really fun. From there on, our explorations took us to a wonderful find um, called the Church of St. Edward King and Martyr. Uh, more than a thousand-year-old church was very common um, to find very old churches all over the place there, churches that um, at one point were, were Anglo-Saxon, and then, of course, when the Norman Conquest happened, they uh, they undertook many changes and... Um, just all kinds of amazing old church history there. So, uh, but it's not uncommon to find these churches that ha- there's been a church on that site for well over a thousand years from, you know, pre pre Norman conquest era, uh, back to the Anglo Saxons and Celts and, and people like that. So, um, so this church was an important early reformation site and some even call it's often called the cradle of the reformation, um, at least as far as the English Reformation goes. And um, it 
uh, it was the site of the first openly enveloped, I'm sorry, stuttering here, the first openly evangelical sermon of the English Reformation. It was was preached here at this little church. Um, So that is just really cool. Caleb's got some information about it, uh, perhaps here that he wants to share, but um, just a very neat find for us who are history nerds and especially Reformation nerds. The key is that we're nerds, and we embrace it. Yeah, so the Church of St. Edward, King and Martyr. Um, you know, this was one of those finds that we were very grateful that this happened, but even in the moment, we didn't really know what we had found. Um, this was during the time where we were allowed to have a little bit of free exploration time. Um, I will say with the the tour that we took, the, the guided tour that we took, which is uh, through Insight Vacations, um, they were really good about giving you plenty of time to really explore on your own. There was the guided tour element of it. There were excursions that you could do, but there was also enough time where you could really set out on your own and explore. And so we stumbled upon this beautiful place um, during that time. And really Chanel was the one that found it. And, you know, this, we had a running joke the entire week that I was just the stodgy old, like, let's stick by the book. And I, I still pretty much am. And Chanel's the, the courageous explorer, just led uh, of the spirit. And, and I'm not. So uh, she found this and I'm grateful that she did. And, you know, it was actually years later, I I used to work in printing, and I was printing a book for somebody um, that had just all sorts of history on uh, the tr- the heritage of English Christianity. And I, I was flipping through the book and found this church that we had visited. I'd recognized the name. And so I, you know, highlighted or circled it or whatever, and that's when I discovered that it was notable uh, in in the English Reformation. Um, so the Church of St. Edward King and Martyr backs uh, onto Pease Hill, a stone's throw from Great St. Mary's, and it's dedicated to a little-known Saxon king murdered in 979 AD. So it's not uh, to con- be confused with other King Edwards throughout uh, English history. This, this is a, a little-known Saxon king that it's named after. Uh, but the, as Chanel mentioned, this church has been called the cradle of it, the English Reformation. And it was here that Thomas Bilney, Robert Barnes, and Hugh Latimer, amongst others, proclaimed the new teaching that was beginning to permeate the English church. Uh, so if you're familiar with Reformation history, I uh, recognize that m- many of our listeners might not be, but um, the scholars of the English Reformation would meet at something uh, known as the White Horse Inn uh, to discuss all the theology and wonderful things here in Cambridge. And it was here at St. Edward's uh, King and Martyr that they would preach their sermons. And it's believed that in 1525 um, that at this church, um, at, at a midnight mass, the first sermon of the English Reformation preached by Robert Barnes was was preached. Um, and that, that lectern or that pulpit is still there at the church. And if you do a tour, um, it wasn't they weren't open for tours when we were there, but if, if you were to do a tour, they would show you this pulpit. It had been lost for a time uh, and returned to the church in 1949. Uh, so a wonderful site. There's a few plaques up um, that we actually missed. We did not see these plaques um, referencing the English Reformation and all that kind of stuff. We did find another sign that I happened to take a picture of, and I'm glad I did because that's where we made the connection of the name of the church to 
to this book. But it's just funny how that worked where, you know, something we went and saw didn't really know we or fully appreciate, although we definitely loved what we saw, um, would later we would stumble upon some more of its rich heritage and, and find a connection that to ourselves meant a lot. So you never know what you might discover when you're across the ocean on a trip somewhere uh, obscure and and seemingly random. I mean, I don't really think Cambridge is all that random, but um, it it didn't necessarily have a deep connection to us until years later we find this and we're like, wow, that was was incredible. So um, definitely venture out of the way more more than some people's comfort zone like it's more than my comfort zone to to wander around and and do all this stuff but it's worth it well i tell you what i think got me and and the reason that we found the place was uh, i think we actually could see the front of it from one of the the main uh, even maybe from the market square because as i was kind of researching for this podcast and looking some things up again googling and things like that um when I pulled this church up, it showed the front facade. And I was like, that doesn't really look like where I remember entering. Um, but I think we may have seen that from the road. But after we went through the market area, I think we meandered down, you know, one of the little paved alleyways, paved roads. And we actually didn't realize it, but we were going around the back end of it. And um, so what got me was old stone wall, misty mist pouring out and super old gray. I could see a super old graveyard in there. And I was like, well, I'm not going to not go in <laughs> to the gate. That's ajar and the, in the misty mystical, uh, mysterious graveyard that's in there. I mean, I have to. So, and then that's when we would just kind of discovered, I think that maybe the more like back entrance to the chapel there and, um, kind of meandered through the, through the really cool graveyard, you know, the, the, the stones that are super old, Celtic crosses, Roman crosses, and, you know, all ajar. They look like jagged teeth sticking out everywhere. It's just really cool. So Caleb, I think, had another thought. Well, you've, you've wandered past it at this point, but I was going to say that the, the side that we entered in is what I read from um, was where it butts up to Pease Hill, um, where you can... You're, you're right next to, I think, what's known as Great St. Mary's. So, okay. just a little, just a little geographical point there. So, so anyway, we we kind of wandered through that, and it was very, like I said, mysterious and wonderful and ancient feeling, and uh, very quiet and tucked away. I mean, we definitely felt like we were tucked away in a corner um, that nobody really visited very often, which was really nice. Um, so, and not far from this wonderful spot after we, after we did our exploring there was a, a coffee shop that we found just around the corner, a stone's throw from that, from that on a quiet alley street. It's actually called Indigo Coffee House. Um, I think it's still there. Caleb said it's still there and it's still open. He did a little research as well. Um, so we, we tucked in there, um, to get some coffee and found an excellent upstairs view with some tables and chairs up there overlooking the stone paved streets that we were on and the cemetery wall where we were and just kind of watching students and passersby as we, uh, sipped our coffee and just enjoyed the very, quaint uh view i think the students may have been on a on break but there was you know they were just like any college town you've got some that linger in fact i remember the uh the uh barista that helped us was you know was a student that was working there on on their 
probably their summer break or, or whatever equivalent. Um, and uh, so that was really a nice little place to stop. So, you know, again, I feel like we had plenty of time, you know, this, we're, we're going through this relatively quickly, but this is over the course of anywhere from two to three hours that we had here. Um, easy to navigate on foot, you know, things are more compact there in these little small towns. So it's not like walking our huge city blocks here in the U.S. where everything really sprawls. Um, you know, things were pretty tightly compact and easy to get around. Lots of bicycles, um, lot, you know, lots of small vehicles, um, things like that. Narrow, small streets that were not intended for vehicles, of course, because they were put there a thousand years ago. Um, so really fun to get around. Um, from there, this kind of does sort sort of start to conclude our time there. After we had a leisurely coffee there at the shop, uh, we went down to the street below and uh, I found a used bookstore that probably looked a little bit like something you'd find in Harry Potter. So of course I ducked in, um, you know, lots of books poking out here and there and everywhere. And I rummaged through the sale bin that they had there and found a young naturalist book on native British shrubs and berries for only a pound. So of course I bought it and I still have it. And it's probably one of my favorite souvenirs that I've ever bought anywhere. Um, has wonderful little colored illustrations, probably, probably printed back in the seventies by the looks of it. Um, I'd have to go pull it out to tell you exactly, but I love that little book. I plan to pass it on to Olive when she's a little older and can treat it with care because it is older and a little tattered. Um, but it's got some really wonderful, fun illustrations and, and facts and information about, um, um, native shrubs and berries um, to the English countryside, which is really neat for me because now moving to Western New York, sort of up in the Northeast corridor here, um, there are some similar um, shrubs and berries that we wouldn't have had in Louisiana. I was from a semi-tropical climate and now moving up here to the Northeast, we've got some things that are somewhat similar to what you might find in parts of England. So that is really neat. Um, Caleb just pointed out that the name of the bookshop that I found was Sarah Key, The Haunted Bookshop, and that's in Cambridge. I, I can't tell you if that was the name of it at the time, but that's the current name. Is that right, Caleb? Yeah, I don't I don't know if that was the name at the time or not. I, I don't know if I noticed, but um, very neat little bookshop. Uh, very fun to duck into. That was using some modern day forensics uh, that I had to use to research these things. Yeah. You know, matching pictures to Google images and, you know, scrolling around on Google Maps and stuff like that. It's a real it's a real high tech uh, trade that we are in uh, in the podcasting industry. And, you know. I, I just enjoy to share that with you, you know, how wonderful the tech side of this is, um, you know, just using Google and, and whatnot. He has a very specific set of skills. <laughs> so I can find anything if you give me about a month and a half. Um, so from here, sadly, our, our time in Cambridge was winding to a close. Um, our hours were spent and it was time to press ever onward. So now we set our sights northward furthermore up to York, uh, which we will save for the next episode. But it bears uh, these small remarks, I think, are, are important and necessary. Um, at this point, we're probably leaving and we're getting a later lunch, I believe. And we stopped in a little town, a little rest stop in a little area. Um, 
that was called Blythe, and it's not, there's several towns in England by the name of Blythe. This one would have been on the, closer to the eastern, eastern coast of England. Um, it was called, Caleb looked it up, it's called Moto Blythe. And so it was similar, that sounds really awesome and authentic, right? Um, Anyway, just to say that not everything on our trip was always picturesque and quaint. Sometimes you just have to make stops for convenience and you just do. But to me, that's interesting. It's interesting to see that, you know, not everything looks like it's out of a storybook there. They have regular rest stops the way we do and everything. So it was very similar to our sort of American rest stop with restaurants uh, with, you know, you've got a few different like maybe sort of fast food, fast options and your restrooms and your convenience items and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it did have some very typical British things like chicken tikka masala, which was for a rest stop, very good. Um, I'm pretty sure they had fish and chips and the neon green mushy peas. Um, but we also had to laugh because they had something called American chicken and chips, which was supposed to be a take on American fried chicken, but looked kind of similar to chicken strips. Uh, and of course, chips there is fries. Um, so we had a, a good chuckle over that. Not only was it like <laughs> chicken strips, it, it's it was more like preformed chicken strips, like far too precise to actually be like <laughs> chicken strip. I don't know. It, it did not look appealing in the least. But um, yeah, so not fancy at all. But for some reason, has always been kind of a memorable part of the trip for us. I don't know. Uh, it's just one of those meals, I guess. I guess it tells you what they think of American food, preformed, preformed <laughs> chicken, which, you know, they're not entirely wrong, no, not really. <laughs> depending on where you go. So um, that was a good chuckle for us. Uh, the different there were a few references here and there to American things while we were there. Even watching TV, I think they referred to us as, as Yankees a few times and things like just funny things like that. Um, so. The further north that we went, like I said, the views continued to impress. We began to see, you know, your very typical little English hedgerows as we drive through the farmland. You could see church steeples nestled in valleys, and every now and then the sun would pop out here and there. Um, But I'll stop there because we want to save the rest for the next episode. So stay tuned as we will be featuring the wonderful and ancient city of York. And if you would like any further information about group tours, guided tours, things of that nature, or any other form of travel that you can think of, as always, reach out to us. We love to help plan vacations. Um, We love to give travel tips. Um, So reach out to us. We'd love to help find the right guided tour that suits your personality and your needs. Um, We are big fans of guided tours. Um, So thank you so much for listening to that episode. We are That Vacation Company, serving you the most delightful destinations. 